What about colostrum? Liquid gold? That's yeah. what we call it, liquid gold. Yeah, so. It's my favorite supplement, by the way, so yeah. Is it? Okay, yeah. You know what, if you have to pick one, it's a good one, right? Hello, this is Dr. Diva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. I'm your host, Dr. Diva Nagula, and today we have Dr. Cindy Howard. Dr. Howard is a board-certified chiropractic internist and nutritionist in private practice in Chicago, Illinois, and holds a license in the state of Florida. She speaks nationally, presenting on topics including pre- and post-concussion nutrition, neuroadrenal dysfunction and infection in sport, male and female pelvic disorders, pediatrics, immunology, gastroenterological disorders, endocrinology, nutritional blood analysis, interpretation, and genetics. She's also the owner of DC Consulting, assisting private practices and advanced education. The last seven years, she has served as the Illinois Delegate for the American Chiropractic Society. She was a recipient of the Flynn Lynch Award in 2015 for Outstanding Service. She's a past president of the ACA Council on Diagnosis and Internal Disorders and currently serves as the president of the College of Pharmacology and Toxicology. Locally, Dr. Howard serves as a board member for the Frankfurt Falcons Youth Football Organization the concussion oversight team for the local school district, and as the team chiropractor for Dream Elite Competitive Cheer and the local wrestling club. Dr. Howard, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. This will be fun. You have so many accolades. It's great to have such a person with all this, all these merits and accolades on the show. So thank you for sharing those with us today. Oh, you're welcome. You know, they all have their merits and it's, it's been fun and it keeps me really busy. I know, you're, you were one busy person, that is for sure. <laughs> well, today I really want to talk to you about functional medicine, and I want to take a little bit of a dive into some various supplements that can help people and boost their immune system. But really, the first thing I'd like to talk about is functional medicine. Not a whole lot of people are aware of what functional medicine is and what it entails and what the practice is. Maybe if you had to take a few minutes and explain what functional medicine is. Yeah, you know what? Great. Thank you. It's interesting because that term functional medicine, I think, is relatively new. When I first started in practice over 20 years ago, we weren't called functional medicine practitioners at all. And that term was not really a very common term used. We talked about a holistic practice or an alternative medicine practice. And there's been a variety of words used to describe what we do over the course of my relatively short 20 years in this space. And it's interesting because now in we like to call it funk med sometimes too, just for the fun of it. It's interesting, it's all based on the same premise really. So regardless of what we call it, the approach is very unique. And what we really pride ourselves on in this space is that we take a different approach from what a lot of patients are typically used to. So for example, it's a very patient-centered approach, right? Versus a doctor approach. It's really about the person you're talking to, helping, um, sitting in front of who wants to achieve good health. And that's the second part of it is it's very health focused versus disease focused. So, you know, one of the fa my favorite things is I love to tell patients when they're sitting in the office with me is, you know, 
love to help you with what your current concerns are, but really ideally what's perfect is that one day you walk into my office saying, I'm not even sure why I'm here because I feel so fabulous. And that's my favorite because now we take you from feeling fabulous to keeping you fabulous. So it's more of a preventative approach as well versus always a reactive approach in medicine. And really at the core, the gist of it then is really to find the underlying cause, right? So when any, anybody presents, whether it's a symptom or a disease process, once they're experiencing that, it's really trying to figure out all the puzzle pieces that got you there, right? The underlying root cause for the symptoms that you showed up with of the disease process that you got labeled with. And when we can figure that out, like a detective might, and fix that, now the body helps to heal itself and we get you back on that path of wellness. So it's, I always say it's preventative medicine versus reactive medicine, and it's a lot of detective work. I like that. I like that description of preventative medicine versus reactive, because I think a lot of Western medicine practices reactive medicine, um, the traditional medicine that we all love and, and learn and to basically try to heal ourselves is, is through reactive. And it's always band-aids that are being applied to, to various wounds. And, and in fact, the root of the problem is very, very seldomly addressed. And it appears that that's what functional medicine really is, is addressing the root cause of the symptom versus just putting a Band-Aid on it. You know, and one other thing that I think is really important for your listeners to understand too is we tend to separate between this, right, Western medicine of this medical practice versus this alternative or functional medicine practice. And yet sometimes we cross that line too. So functional medicine, again, isn't just about prescribing, right? And there's a misnomer, I think, out there where we think prescription medicines and we're prescribing and in the functional medicine world, we do a lot of prescribing of supplementation, vitamins, minerals, herbs, right? Homeopathic remedies, as well as food, diet changes. But really in that realm, it's still about fixing the underlying disease. So whether we recommend a supplement or a medication, if all we're doing is putting that Band-Aid on, as you mentioned, with that symptom, it's not necessarily the best way to go, even if it's considered natural, right? So it's still finding that root cause. All right, exactly. And that's, that's the differential I believe is, is finding the root cause versus just simply placing a bandaid or prescribing a medication to make it go away. So the other thing is, is interesting is there's other fields out there. So like naturopathic medicines, you guys are different. I mean, naturopathic medicine is quite different than functional medicine, right? Oh no, absolutely. Functional medicine. How, how does a provider train in functional medicine and is it limited to just chiropractors or are there other disciplines that could actually um, get educated in functional medicine? Great question. You know what? And lots of different practitioners can get educated in that because, again, it's the, the concept, right? So there is actually not a degree, if you will, or a board certification, so to speak, that is in functional medicine. That doesn't exist. So we can get certified in it. We can call ourselves that. There's classes and education in that, but your degree is not in functional medicine. So you're a doctor of chiropractic, you're a doctor of naturopathic medicine, you're a medical doctor, you're an osteopathic doctor, right? So those are the actual licensing degrees, if you will. The education varies, and it can vary from... There are doctors out there that take a couple online courses and do some reading and dive right in and practice functional medicine all the way through. There are very specific courses out there taught in the medical profession in that field, certainly within the chiropractic field. And then certainly there are programs that will range all the way up to two, three years that you can spend taking both online and in-house, you know, in-person courses to get the education you really need in this realm. Right. And I remember I actually took a few courses, one online and one um, a live course in DC. And man, I, I think it was a three, four day dive. And I was, 
my brain was fried. I mean, it was yeah. just information that I was so unfamiliar with. It was like actually attending medical school all over again, because these are things that we just don't look at as a, as a, as a regular physician and uh, practicing traditional medicine. And I was just surprised how much everything made sense, but how much everything was so foreign to me. And yeah. that's, I think that's the beauty of functional medicine. It's great. And I think as much as we have a lot of research to back up all the things we do, and this type of medicine has really been around for a very long time, even though it's kind of new in the realm of getting good publicity, it, we also have a long way to go in that realm too. So there's a lot of really great anecdotal things that can come up too in this world that are very safe, that we're still researching, improving um, to help get people well. And that's really fun. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot that we don't know too. Yeah. Um, I'm covering it, I think, every day in this world and, and combining that with all aspects of medicine, I think just gets people better faster and safer. And then if someone was to try to look for a functional medicine practitioner in their area, what's the best way to do that? Oh, that's also a great question because sometimes that can be really hard. So there's different organizations like through the Institute of Functional Medicine or Functional Medicine University or the ACA, as you mentioned, because I've been involved with the American Chiropractic Association. We have a council on internal, um, internal medicine, diagnosis and internal medicine, where there's listings for different functional medicine practitioners. Um, and I think certainly through some of these organizations or state organizations, a lot of the physicians will have themselves listed that way with different certifications or letters behind their name that'll indicate that type of practice. I also think diving through sometimes, you know, doctors' websites, right? And seeing yep. if as they talk about themselves and the way they practice, it looks like that's the approach that they take. Sometimes that can be a really good clue for patients too to see, um, you know, what avenues they might be going down with that particular physician. And with your expertise and with your practice, um, do you find yourself working with just specifically functional medicine providers or do you work with MDs, other chiropractors? Do you, just work, do you work with all sorts of disciplines? Absolutely. And I think it's really important. And, you know, that goes as far as like even massage therapists and podiatrists and yeah. holistic yeah. dentists. Um, you know, anybody who is involved in basically improving the health of a patient is somebody to collaborate with. And I think that's extremely important because, you know, as we mentioned, we look at the whole person, we also have to look at the whole system, right? So for example, I might have a patient that comes in with an autoimmune disease and the root cause might be a bacteria that was lodged in poor dental work, right? right. Sometimes working with a holistic dentist on that patient's health can make all the difference where separate, we don't accomplish quite what we want to. So I think the integration is really important. Right. No, absolutely. I agree. So um, yeah, thank you for explaining that to our listeners. I could sit there and talk to you about functional medicine for hours, but because we are short on time, I really want to talk about some of the things that I think our listeners would be happy to listen to, and that's supplementation. In my book, From Doctor to Patient, I talk about uh, in a chapter, I introduce different medicines, specifically supplements to help boost the immunity. And I am a cancer survivor, and I believe that you are also a cancer survivor as well. I am. And what kind of cancer um, did you have? So I walked through Hodgkin's lymphoma, yep. and August 27th was my five-year anniversary of the last treatment. Yay, that's awesome. Yep. It was great. Thank you. This past August 27th, you said? Yes, yes. Yeah, so we're actually, yeah, we're about a year apart. Yeah, I was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I was diagnosed in 2003. 14 and finished my last treatment in uh, February or March of 2015. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, 
unfortunately a big club, but you know, it's, it's great to walk through that experience in order to share it because there's a good way to go through it. One last question before we start talking about the supplements. For you specifically, since it is a lymphoma, do you feel like there was a specific cause that um, brought the diagnosis of, of um, Hodgkin's lymphoma to you? Oh, wow. You know, it, it's interesting because everything's easy in retrospect, right? We can trace back all these things that we did over the course of however many years we've been running around and think, wow, that wasn't healthy or that wasn't a good choice or I could have done things differently. And I definitely can narrow it down. Um, I think to five to 10 things over the course of my life that have made a difference. But I'll tell you the one thing that I think put me truly over the edge. And that was, I was going through a very, very stressful time in my life Uh, at the time I diagnosed. And I think the level of stress that I was experiencing took a toll on my immune system, which absolutely flared a process that I was working on. And as crazy as this may sound, I'm not sure it would have reared as its ugly head as that diagnosis had my stress level not been so high for such a long period of time. Did you have chemo? I did. I um, chose as a result of it being Hodgkin's, I chose to go the chemotherapy route, but along with um, we'll call it functional medicine, right? So I did very high doses of IV vitamin C the day before, the day of, the day after. I was popping, and this may sound a little crazy, but about 150 pills a day of different supplementation to keep my immune system where I needed it to be. I ate as perfectly as you possibly can in our world of challenges, um, you know, with the environment that it is in our food world, and I ate really well, and I lowered my stress level through exercise and, and different meditation techniques to really keep me healthy. And fortunately and unfortunately, Hodgkin's lymphoma is considered curable with the use of chemotherapy. So I did opt for that. My joke was, is I needed to do all of those other things that would keep me alive while they were killing me. (laughs) So while the poison was in my body to take care of the disease process, I needed to make sure that I would come out on the other side of that feeling absolutely fantastic. And I did. And I think that's a huge point here. It's like, it's, and and I don't want to alienate or isolate one discipline versus the other is really the integration of all these disciplines to attain proper well-being for each individual. And in your case, you know, you had the diligence to, and the knowledge of other modalities, specifically in the realm of functional medicine, to utilize in, um, in, in, uh, with addition of conventional medicine with chemotherapy. And so it's, it's interesting because that's what I did. So I, unfortunately at the time, I didn't know about the high dose IV vitamin C infusions. And now I have a business that does IV vitamin C infusions, (laughs) but I wish I had known that because I would have done the same thing. And I I actually changed my diet 180 degrees where I went from eating processed food all the time and to starting to eat everything organic and non-GMO. And I eliminated gluten. I eliminated a bunch of other things while I was going to treatment. I'm not a hundred percent where I, 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 where I follow that diet, but I follow the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, I am following the supplements and the diet, and then 20%, well, you know, life, life, life's life, right? So, uh, right. But I agree. I think during the time when you were getting chemo and you were sick, it's the time where you really need to be 100%. Supplements, I'm, you know, let's just a great segue into our, our topic of discussion here. So what supplements are, uh, do you advocate, you know, and we can take a deep dive one by one for boosting immunity for people like us who are cancer survivors. Yeah, you know, there's probably a long laundry list of those, quite frankly, and we certainly don't need to utilize all of them, and they all have different 
goals, right? When we use those as to what we're trying to achieve. And I, I think there's some basic things that we look at too. So one thing that's really important to me is looking at just basic vitamins and minerals, right? And determining what on that level might we not be getting appropriately in our diet that we might need to supplement. And there's probably two that are really very common that we're deficient in, whether we're walking through cancer or quite frankly, just dealing with any immune system problem. And one of those is vitamin D and the other one's probably magnesium mm-hmm. that we see a lot of deficiencies in, in practice. The vitamin D is very interesting to me because we have an assumption that as long as we're getting a little bit of sunshine, wherever we are, that we're synthesizing appropriate levels of vitamin D and we shouldn't need it. And what we found in practice over the last 15 years, really, especially with some great research that's coming out, is most people are truly not synthesizing vitamin D real well, some worse than others, depending on where they live, especially if it's on the northern half of of this country. But we're testing too, and I think that's a really important thing is that you actually get blood levels of vitamin D so that we don't assume your levels are good. We can really find out where the deficiency is. And by elevating that, vitamin D alone can be a great immune system stimulant, um, as well as helping with other things. But it's one that's overlooked quite, quite commonly. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think depending on your exposure to sunlight, it may or may not have a correlation with your actual blood levels. I mean, me, case in point, I was living in Florida at the time that I got diagnosed, and I was out in the sun two, three days a week playing golf. When you're out there playing golf, you're, you're in the sun for four to five hours, and you know, you're exposed to it all the time, just being going from the home to the car and wherever else you may be. And interesting enough, when I had my levels done, I was at the low end of normal, which was, I think it's 19, was it nanograms per, per ml? Is that the... Uh... Oh, you're going to call me out on that? And I'm going to have to call lab work to look at the, you know, I, I, I think in numbers, not in what it's measured in. Yeah, it's 20 nanograms per ml. So yeah, I was like, I was like 19, you know, which yeah. is actually not even within the normal range. I think above 20 is considered to be normal. I was shocked and I was like, are you kidding me? And it, it turned out because I have dark skin the melanin in my system it has something to do with it. Um, in addition to the fact that I was actually putting sunblock on. And so I wasn't able to absorb any of the vitamin and the sunshine to, to facilitate the conversion of vitamin D in my body. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you say that too, because if you look at most of the commercial sunblocks, which prevent then, right, that absorption of the vitamin D, most of those commercial sunblocks also have chemicals in it that when absorbed through the skin can be carcinogenic, right? So good point. Sort of. Right, defeating the purpose and creating a bigger problem. Um, and that's why the vitamin D is so important to check because we can make an assumption we have it. And your number is not uncommon. You know, in, in the funk med world, it's interesting because we look at blood values that are very different than what a lab may put out. So a lab might say a normal range is 20 to 100 or 30 to 100 is also very common. And yet, um, when we look at true immune system and balancing it, we really want those levels closer to like 60, 70, or 80 in the vitamin D. So sometimes patients also will be told their levels are normal and they're sitting at 32. And yet by elevating it or doubling that, they might find a very profound difference in how they feel and how the immune system functions just by taking vitamin D supplementation. And for those specific levels, you know, the 50 to 60, is that for people, for any Joe Schmo, or is that person who has an immunodeficiency? Yeah, great question. So I like the level sitting at around like 50, 60, regardless, yeah. maybe even 70. Where I start to like it a little bit higher is in those patients that are ex- um, experiencing any type of, type of autoimmune condition. Then we like to see it a little bit higher. And it's an interesting because even as cancer survivors, we tend to look at cancer as an immune system problem, right? Almost like it is an autoimmune 
condition or the body has gone bad, so to speak. So I like to get those levels closer to that 80 range with the vitamin D um, and certainly no harm if they sit there even without a condition. Right. And do you feel comfortable in having people like um, self-dose themselves or would you rather have the person start taking vitamin D that's maybe a supplement that's over the counter, get their levels checked and then have someone monitor and um, increase their dosage as needed? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you can work with a practitioner on some level, it's always better. And really the rationale behind that is one, because we can at least check a baseline level to see where you're truly at. And those of us that are educated, we know how to recommend a certain dose, right? So we don't want you on too much. We don't want you on too little, but depending on where you fall, we may be able to figure out what that appropriate dose is. And then what's also most important is that recheck, right? So a lot of people out there don't ever recheck. They just assume that the levels that they're taking are correct and that may or may not be true. So rechecking and monitoring, I think is truly like, is, you know, we want to be as close to perfect as we can in appropriate supplementation. That would be the right way to do it. Right. That's awesome. And then the other thing to point out is that um, the actual dosage per person may differ. So if someone's taking 2000 IUs of vitamin D and that's getting them to a level of 50 or 60 nanograms per ml, that my 2000 IUs could maybe get me to a level of 25, you know, and it's, it's, I actually have to take 10,000 units a day um, to get my levels to be about 50 or 60. So. Absolutely. You know, and that's valid. And it also depends on making sure you get the right type of vitamin D, right? Cause some people are taking the incorrect kind. It also depends on how you take it. So for example, if you're swallowing a capsule of vitamin D, it's gotta get to the large intestine. It's a fat soluble vitamin. Taking it with food can increase absorption. That may affect how well you absorb and the levels versus let's say you're doing a a sublingual drop. Some of it goes into the mucous membranes. We don't have to rely so much on the digestive process. And especially that's also assuming people have good digestion in the first place and can absorb their nutrients. So yeah, what what works for you may not work for the three people you're in a room with having that conversation. So the testing's really important. Is there a preference that you typically go to when you prescribe it um, in terms of um, administration, whether it's the fat soluble um, drops or whether it's just a regular capsule? What's your, what's your favorite? Yeah, my favorite is really an emulsified D in, in a liquid form. And I find that, you know, I never want to say 100% of the time because that's just not true in medicine, but a good 90 plus percent of the time when we dose with an emulsified liquid vitamin D, we get the levels that we're looking for in a relatively short period of time when we reach out. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you. That was, that was really great for the vitamin D, but we have so many more to go. And you were mentioning that vitamin C was another one of your favorites. Yeah, vitamin C, just because it's so simple, right? You know, vitamin C has been around for a very long time. There's tons of research to show the effect on the immune system. What's great about vitamin C is it shortens the span of a lot of bad things too, right? So, you know, you wind up with a cold, a viral infection. Um, You know, certainly the immune system's got to function and work through that, but it can help shorten, you know, the days, right? So rather than being sick for seven, 10 days, maybe it's two um, when we get ahead to it. And it's, it's a very easy supplement for people to take as well. It also... And I always hate to, you know, throw money into it too, but it's also not an expensive supplement either. So, you know, for people who are watching their, their pennies, that, that may be also important. Um, the one interesting thing I like to share with everybody about vitamin C supplementation, though, is it's very individualized to the person as well with dosage. And it's always based on what we call bowel tolerance. So what happens with vitamin C is when we dose that out with patients, is we have people who can literally only handle, say, 500 milligrams of an ascorbic, a vitamin C. 
And then we have people who might work their way up to 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C. And the way we determine that is if you're taking too much vitamin C, it has a tendency to soften and loosen stool, leading to really a watery type diarrhea. Yeah. Always got to go there with gut function and poop at some point. But um, we always get to a watery diarrhea, which lets us know we're actually taking too much, right? We're excreting what we're not utilizing. The bowel can't handle that. And then we're letting it go. So we always dose vitamin C based on the patient's tolerance to figure out where that level is that they can take the vitamin C and yet still have firm, normal bowel movements without that loose stool or causing an uncomfortable watery diarrhea. Right. And typically, is there an average dosage that a person can tolerate or does it vary from person to person before they start experiencing their loose stools? And, and totally varies. Um, I mean, I have people where I think we can get them up to a few thousand milligrams and we can't get past 500. And then I have patients that truly surprise me and get up to, you know, 8, 10, 12,000 milligrams sometimes. Wow, um, and those are patients that are usually a little bit more ill in terms of, you know, that need on a regular basis. So, you know, for the listeners out there, please don't start pumping, you know, 12,000 milligrams of, <laughs> you know, vitamin C daily without working with a practitioner on that and hoping it'll solve all your problems because, you know. That may send you in a different direction too. At what point would you recommend um, transitioning or even just bypassing the whole oral route and go intravenous? Well, you know, certainly if you're dealing with a pretty serious health cons consideration, I would go intravenous. And the reason for that is most intravenously, um, when it's done, is going to be done at about 50,000 milligrams of vitamin C, the bowels typically can't tolerate that. So when it's done through IV, you're bypassing that GI system to not cause that disruption and, and that diarrhea. And quite frankly, people are not going to feel good taking that orally. So when we get in the high doses from an IV standpoint, that stimulates the immune system a lot quicker, a lot faster, and a lot longer, in my opinion, um, especially when you're walking through, like, say, a chemotherapy or a cancer-type protocol. Um, it's going to be really hard to get that orally. You're right. And I guess the other thing to really point out is that, you know, there are people whom you want to screen for um, it, when you're considering giving intravenous vitamin C or high dose vitamin C. And, and, I, and for me, I mean, I don't, what comes to mind is you want to screen the mixture that each patient has an appropriate functioning renal uh, or kidneys are functioning properly. Otherwise, you don't want to give them these high doses. It could cause a disaster to their kidneys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, in our world of functional medicine too, one of the very first things we always do is run a really good blood panel on people, right? And that's to make sure that everything that we do is safe. Because theoretically, like I'll tell patients, I carry probably about 600 different supplements in my practice for various reasons. Everything on my shelf is safe if you need it, right? If there's a justification and a rationale and we make sure it's appropriate, just because it says natural or it comes, you know, it's a vitamin or a mineral or it comes from an herb doesn't necessarily mean it's not without side effects. So looking at kidney function, looking at gallbladder, looking at liver function, right? Making sure all, all the systems in the body are relatively healthy before you start treating are absolutely important. And, you know, that's one of the things that I love about functional medicine when we do that first is, you know, you always hear about that doctor that has to order the liver enzyme test, right? Because the medication we give you can destroy your liver versus yep. making sure the liver is really healthy first right. in order to handle those things. Um, you know, we just do that as a given to make sure that those supplementations don't cause problems. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move to um, magnesium. Let's okay. Magnesium and how we can benefit from that. Yeah. So magnesium is a really fun supplement. And I think that's actually here in Chicago, that's the latest buzz is everybody's magnesium oh, really? deficient. And that may or may not be true, although it's pretty common. 
I always explain, magnesium has a lot of functions on a very cellular level, but there's four main signs and symptoms we see with true magnesium deficiency. One is muscle aches and pains, anxiety, insomnia, and headaches. Not that there can't be a myriad of other symptoms too, but those are really big common ones that we see. Um, it's a mineral we use for a lot of female health. It's a mineral we use for energy level. It's a mineral we use for muscle function, if you will, for a lot of people that have, let's say, muscle fatigue or soreness. Um, and we're seeing a lot of deficiency in magnesium. And then, of course, it boosts the immune system, right? There's our, our bonus with that particular one. The other interesting thing about magnesium is it's very hard to measure. So we know when we do lab work, you can run a test for serum magnesium, which most of the labs will even agree is not a great measurement. We can run what's called a red blood cell magnesium that we think is a little bit more accurate. And even in some of the work that I've done talking to some of the lab technicians and other practitioners, we find that even when we see a value, we just make a clinical assumption that it's probably a little bit lower than what we're seeing on lab tests in order to supplement with that. The other really cool, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The other really cool thing about magnesium is that there's different forms that'll help us with different things. That's what I was just going to get to next. So I wanted to ask you what, what the various forms are and what each form is utilized for. Yeah, so from an immune system standpoint, I would tell you magnesium chloride. Most of the research is done there to show that that has a direct effect on simulating the immune system to help the T, T help what's called T cells. They come from the thymus that help fight infection, if you will. Um, that's probably one of the better forms from that standpoint. Is magnesium there a function to that chloride? What does the chloride actually do to help um, boost the immune system? Obviously, the, the magnesium does that, but does the chloride um, supplement that? Uh, magnesium or work in synergy? Yeah, it's interesting. I think what we're seeing is that it actually helps to reduce more of the oxidative stress. Uh, so oxidative stress, we know that there's lots of things, whether it's environmental stress, food stress, you know, other things that we're exposed to that actually put that, um, decreases the immune system through that stress right in the body. And this actually reduces that load. That's what we're finding in the research. Um, magnesium glycinate is probably another form if we're talking about like muscle soreness, fatigue issues that way. That seems to be a really good form that way. And then my other favorite, especially if we're dealing with patients with gut issues, mainly constipation, would be magnesium citrate. So magnesium citrate can help soften the bowels and move the bowels. And we know that the immune system, really the gut's the basis for the immune system, right? So if the gut's not functioning properly and we're holding on to excess fecal material, which is waste, it's not something we need, then what happens is that can damage the intestinal lining. So the magnesium citrate will help mobilize the bowels so that we're excreting fecal matter appropriately um, so that we don't create more toxicity in the gut. Have you um, come across magnesium threonate? I have. So magnesium threonate is a wonderful form of magnesium that we actually use with a lot of um, neurological dysfunction. It's actually the only form of magnesium that crosses the blood-brain barrier, which is great. And it also doesn't upset the bowels. So sometimes we can use elevated doses of the threonate without having that risk of diarrhea as well. It's an awesome form of magnesium. And when would you prescribe that one? Oh, the three and eight, anytime, well, we use that actually a lot in our concussed patients. So anytime there's any sort of brain injury, traumatic brain injury, um, concussion, stroke, neurological deficits, dementia, Alzheimer's, even just general memory loss, we would start to use the magnesium three and eight more often. Right. And then in general, I mean, obviously magnesium can have a um, tendency to move the bowels in of itself, but like with these 
different forms of magnesium, is there a specific dose that you'd like to start on start patients on? Because you know it's hard. Also, these things are available over the counter, so it's really a good. You need there you need to be a r- good rule of thumb to follow in order to um, start your first supplementation with magnesium. In my opinion. Yeah, so a lot of the products will start anywhere between 120 milligrams of magnesium and work their way up. Um, Some of the products, you'll even see them in 500 milligram doses and and higher. I tend to start my patients a little bit lower on that, especially if it's one that will upset the bowels to make sure we've got tolerance, right? Um, Certainly don't want them on 1,000 milligrams of magnesium and then find out they were in the bathroom for a week with diarrhea and forgot to tell you, right? (laughs) So I'll start them in, you know, somewhere between two and 400 milligrams, I think is very safe. Yep generally, um, and then work your way up from there. And again, that's another reason just to work with a practitioner to help monitor you know, any symptoms you may have that shouldn't be there with proper magnesium dosage. Good point. Um, let's move on to the next one. Let's talk about uh, probiotics. Okay. I'm sorry, before we get to probiotics, let's go to omega-3s. I, I want to talk, I might take a little long, so I want to discuss that in detail. Okay. Got it. So, so- yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about the, the fishy stuff. The fishy stuff. Yeah, you got it. So omega-3s, yeah. And the other cool, one cool thing really about omega-3s is there's a ton of research on it, right? Um, and most of the research talks about its anti-inflammatory effects that it has. It has some cardiovascular effects as well. Omega-3s specifically actually target the immune system. So what what's in an omega-3? When you say, let's go take an omega-3, you hear the letters EPA, DHA, ALA, right? Um, And there's all kinds of different theories out there as to how much you should take. Because I'm sure that's probably one of the questions. And I have this joke that if you put 10 doctors in a room, you get 11 opinions, because sometimes I have two, (laughs) depending on the mood I'm in. Um, And they'll talk about ratios of EPA to DHA, anywhere being from a one-to-one ratio, two-to-one ratio, four-to-one ratio. And I'll tell you, it's a hard thing to, to pick because there's research that supports all of those types of dosages. One of the things that I think that's really important with the omega-3s and the fish oils, though, that a lot of people are unaware of is where it's very anti-inflammatory. When omega-3s are taking for, taken for an extended period of time, they also can become pro-inflammatory in a chronic case. So it's really important that we get a little bit of omega-6 along with those omega-3s when we're giving it for longer term, um, especially if we're talking about immune system, because most people are on that longer. So omega-6 would be like adding a little bit of GLA, gamma-linoleic acid, even maybe a little bit of barrage oil and a dose of about 100 milligrams along with that fish oil. Fish oil also is better absorbed. That's also better with a fat. So we always recommend patients take it usually with dinner because we're pretty sure you're going to get some sort of fat, hopefully, with your dinner. Not that it can't work without it, but that's probably better. Um, We also watch for digestive issues with the omega-3s, right? A lot of patients will come back and complain that they've got a lot of burping or belching going on when they take an omega-3 type or a fish oil type product. And the two things that we look for, if that's actually a symptom, especially if you're buying these things over the counter and you're not sure the quality that you're getting, is we automatically assume that if we don't know where the quality is coming from, that it could potentially be a poor quality product causing the upper GI symptom. The other thing is it's possible that it is more of a digestive issue at that point. So if a patient has a really good quality fish oil and they're having a lot of upper GI symptoms along with that, then we really have to dive further into that GI system to make sure the gallbladder is functioning well, um, the intestines are functioning well, et cetera, so that we don't have those symptoms. Because the patient really shouldn't experience that when they're taking a fish oil. 
And then um, with the Omega-3s, obviously there's a lot of different brands that are out there. I mean, do you advocate one specific uh, brand? Wow, that's, you know, maybe. Well, <laughs> um, okay, and, and I say that just because I really do think that there's a lot of great companies out there that make yeah. product. Um, I mean, I, I'm happy to throw some out if that's okay to do. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we use a lot of physician only formulas in the practice. So sometimes they're hard to come by. Some of the companies that we use, like I'm a big fan of protocol, which actually is if you're out in the, the health food stores, it's the now brand. So you can do the now brand. Um, I really like biotics research. They do a lot of physician only formulas as well that you can get through practitioners. Um, Perk is another good company for the fish oils. Those are probably my three. Um, for those for that particular product anyway i think there's a lot of other great companies out there right some of the keys i think for your listeners is again the reason to match up with a good practitioner is those of us that do our due diligence with those companies to really seek out who's manufacturing it how is it manufactured do they actually have certificates showing the quality you know of every batch that comes through that manufacturing process to make sure it's clean you know there's no heavy metals nothing toxic really important um there's been a lot of studies that have been done showing that when products have been tested out there in the market, a they don't sh they actually don't have what's in them, you know, um, exactly matching what the label says is in there. And then again, there's a lot of toxic things that are being found in some of these products in the manufacturing product um, process. And here we're trying to get people healthy, and we're doing a more harm than good sometimes with the, those ingredients that don't belong in there. Have you visited any of these facilities, the manufacturers? I have. Um, which is really great. So the Now Brands actually has a manufacturing facility right in my backyard, about 40 minutes from my home. They're located in the western suburbs of Chicago. And with full transparency, they've walked me through. It's great. You get to see the raw product come in. You get to see how they manufacture it. Um, you get to see how it's stored. You get to look at the certificates. Um, it's really fantastic. So I've been through their facility. There's another company out of Orlando, Florida called Zymogen. Full transparency as well. They take their practitioners through there and same routine, which is really great. And I think as a practitioner, it's really important for us to understand, you know, how it goes from raw product into our patient's hand so that we can really prescribe with confidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that's, there's, that's kudos to you because I, I think there's a lot of people who prescribe these supplements and they prescribe specific brands because it's the brand that they're comfortable with or it's the hot brand that's in the market or or a rep shows up at their, home, at their office and they decide to prescribe that specific brand. But that's awesome. I mean, not many practitioners are gonna go and fly to the manufacturer and look at the facility. That's just very rare. So um, kudos to you on that. I, I respect that a lot. Thanks, awesome. thanks. It's actually quite fun. I would encourage everybody, you know, if they can have access to do that. It's a very interesting process too, just to learn about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's move to the next supplement. Probiotics is a very hot, hot topic, and everyone has their, um, you know, their opinion on which breast, which probiotic is the best, which composition is the best, um, and you know which uh, unit, how, which volume of units is the appropriate volume to take. So, uh, what do you think? Yeah, you know what, it's a really complicated question for me because I think there's so much information out there, and I would love to tell you I have here's my exact protocol. Here's the exact, you know, billion that I use. And unfortunately, I just don't have that. I think that, you know, again, it comes back down to the quality in the company, making sure that at least you're buying from a reputable source. Right. And I also think that it's also important to know exactly what you're treating. 
and you're probably going to throw me under the bus and ask me for some specific examples. So I'm going to tell you to have to go back, go back to do some homework. But <laughs> when we look into what we're treating, we can also look up to see which probiotic, if you will, which good bacteria we have the research for that specific condition as well. So sometimes it's very condition specific versus just, hey, let's take a probiotic for gut health. Right. You know, and yet there's probiotics targeted for weight loss. There's probiotics targeted for regulating blood sugar. Um, and the list goes on. So, you know, we probably could have an entire, here's your next book, you know, an entire 200 page <laughs> book on which probiotic to take for exactly which condition. Um, I do think it's a matter of also testing. As strange as this may sound, we can look at the levels of, of probiotics that patients have in their gut to make sure, A, they even still need them, right? Or that they don't become imbalanced because there's also some inf misinformation out there that everybody should be on a probiotic no matter what. And yet we actually see certain conditions get exacerbated in a bad way from too much good bacteria being present as well. Yeah, and I, I imagine that condition is SIBO. It is, it is, yeah. So there's an overgrowth that can happen, right, in the small intestines of both bad bacteria and now we know good bacteria. Mm -hmm. It makes a home in the small intestine that can lead to burping, belching, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, and yet that's commonly overlooked, I think, in our, our medical practice as well. A lot of times where patients are just miserable from a GI standpoint, yet they just keep pumping the probiotics and it's feeding the problem. Absolutely. And do you, um, and like we talked about at the beginning, um, is there a specific number of, you know, CFUs or how many billions do you recommend? Because I think everyone's like, okay, well, this one has a hundred billion, this one has two. So maybe I should just buy the hundred because that's just better number of probiotics for my body. Right. And I think the hundred billion is a great place to start, you know, and I think that's the key is also looking at how do you feel when you take it, right? So if you're doing 100 billion and you can feel fantastic and the gut is functioning and balls are moving properly and there's no illness, you know, more isn't necessarily better, right? Um, and sometimes it's really about that exper experimentation, if you will, with the type of product because it also can depend on the strains as well. So 300 billion of a certain strain that isn't accomplishing what you need to isn't going to be better than 100 billion of something that's more effective therapeutically. Exactly. Good point. What about colostrum? Liquid gold? That's yeah. what we call it, liquid gold. Yeah, so- It's my favorite supplement, by the way, so yeah. Is it? Okay, yeah. You know what, if you have to pick one, it's a good one, right? You know, yeah. hands, hands down, it's a good one. And I think, you know, if we look at the history of colostrum, the reason it's such a good one is really, we're talking about mother's milk, right? So, you know, as women, we're designed to breastfeed our children and whether we choose to or not is a personal choice, but the milk that we provide to our, our infants provides colostrum, right? And it provides a level of antibodies that helps really set the immune system um, in a positive light so that kids can move through childhood without a lot of illness and disease, right? It helps offset asthma and allergies and all of, you know, those types of childhood things that we tend to go through that we see when we're not getting colostrum. So starting from the moment we take our first breath, colostrum can probably be one of the most important supplements through childhood leading into adulthood. And we use a lot of what's called poly, um, proline-rich polypeptides, which is a component found in colostrum, because its immune system effects are just phenomenal. And it's one of those great supplements, too, that it's almost like if you just don't know where else to turn, you're not sure what to use, that would be a good one for your listeners to pick up. Because, you know, 
side effects pretty much non-existent, right? And not that there can't ever be none, but there's not a laundry list of them, certainly for that supplement. And the effect that it has on the immune system is absolutely phenomenal. Did you find that when you um, started taking colostrum, um, it actually helped improve your immunoglobulins? Because for me, when I had my immunoglobulins tested, uh, they were low after chemo. And so um, after, I don't know, a couple of years, my levels were still kind of low. They weren't normal yet. And I kept taking the colostrum, kept taking it. And I really feel over time, it's the reason why my immunoglobulin levels ha have actually returned to normal. Yeah, I agree with you. It's fantastic for that. We've got research to back that up, right? Um, we use it too. And because we see the immunoglobulin levels change, not only in patients walking through cancer, but in patients who are experiencing any sort of autoimmune disease, that is absolutely one of my go-tos when there's autoimmune disease, whether it's Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, lupus, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, you name it, that supplement's a given. Yeah. And I also tell people to start taking it like in the, in the flu season, you know, in, especially when the winter months, cause uh, you know, you're, you're low on vitamin D unless you're supplementing because there's uh, a lot less sunlight that's you're exposed to. So boosting your immunity through these routes, like the colostrum is always beneficial to a person. Yeah, it's great. And there comes then the preventative medicine too, right? Like why wait until you catch what everybody else has Take it through those seasons to be preventative. And what's great is you can even put infants on this. Yeah. You know, which is a beautiful thing too, where a lot of people get nervous about supplementation for infants and even young kids. This is very safe because mother's milk, you start on that right away. And it's interesting. It's, and I, and I'll, I don't know the data behind this, but I wasn't um, breastfed. And so I wonder if my immune system was somewhat, is obviously it, had, it, is, it is somewhat compromised because I had formula milk. But I, as a result, I'm wondering if I should be on colostrum long-term because I didn't have the benefit of the colostrum from my mom um, as a newborn. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't either. You know, I think our generation, a lot of the moms got away from breastfeeding, you know, and they just, they weren't educated on understanding the benefit when they made their choice necessarily. And, you know, it is what it is, but I agree. And, and that's the beauty is there's no harm in you being on it long-term either. You know, where some supplements you know, we don't necessarily watch on them for the rest of your life or they should be rotated depending on what they are. The classroom is a really easy one where you can do that, which is great. Right. It's great. So, you know, especially for those moms out there, again, without judgment, whatever choice you're making, um, certainly if you're using formula to add it to the formula would give that child that benefit, right? Where we're now backtracking a bunch of years to exactly. try to get you know, what we missed out, you know, back in the day. Yeah. All right. So um, let's talk about turmeric. Okay, turmeric. So yeah, another big buzz one, right? You know, and here we've got a spice that's been around for a gazillion years that's been used in food preparation. Um, certainly more outside of this country than in, but um, it's, it's a fantastic spice. And people, I think, get confused a little bit because we throw out the words turmeric and we throw out the word curcumin, right? And curcumin is an active component of turmeric. So, you know, sometimes when we throw out that word, we're talking about the exact same thing, which I think confuses people a lot of times. Right, good point. Yeah, turmeric and curcumin are one of those, I don't ever want to say anything's a magic supplement. From an inflammation standpoint, it seems to have proven in research to be sort of miraculous, if you will. And we've seen studies that, um, and a lot of them are done in an osteoarthritis type setting mm -hmm. where we've compared them to over-the-counter NSAIDs in terms of reducing inflammation and lowering pain. And we've seen that curcumin and turmeric actually have been more successful than a lot of the medications we've been prescribing for a series of years. Um, has a huge effect as well on the immune system. 
We see better sleep, we see lower pain, we see um, lower inflammation, we see markers in blood work go down like uric acid, we see LDH go down with it, we see C-reactive protein go down with it. Um, the only thing I would caution though too is there are some side effects that I think are really important to note as well with curcumin. Um, really, really important if you've got an iron deficient patient because it can interfere with iron absorption. So again, just running out to get turmeric in high doses if you've got an iron deficiency may cause you know, some harm. Um, we see it actually lower blood sugar too. So if you've got a patient that doesn't need their blood sugar necessarily, too much lower. Um, now we can start seeing symptoms of like dizziness and um, you know fainting and low blood sugar symptoms if you want patients. So we want to be cautious of things right. you know in that realm as well. Turmeric is available in the spice form. In it is. My culture, the the Indian culture, a lot of people cook with turmeric, and just by applying the actual herb to the, and spice to the food doesn't actually give you the benefits unless you actually make it more viable by acting by adding like either a fat or um, black pepper, which actually increases the bioavailability, right? Correct. And sometimes you'll see, so you can still utilize that in cooking, right? Yeah. Um, by adding the black pepper. And you'll see that in a lot of the supplementations, the black pepper right. um, as an additive to increase the bioavailability. Absolutely. Great point. But I would love, you know, and it's funny, we spend all this time talking about supplementation. Certainly if people can get these things through food source, even better. You know, through the food versus having to pop a cap, you know, a pill. All right. And that's where I've always told my patients, I was like, yeah, I mean, the supplementations are used to supplement, not replace. So if you can get all these things through just regular diet, that's the optimal way of getting these foods and right. these actual ingredients and these things that we're talking about that are actually supposed to be in our foods and our <laughs> diet. But unfortunately, you know, if we're eating processed foods, we're going to be devoid of these types of things. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting challenge. And that's where it's really hard, right? Because, you know, I have this joke that if, it, you know, if my patient population actually ate really well, 80% of them would go away. And not in a bad way, just they wouldn't need my help with all of these symptoms, right? You know, if they were getting it from their food source. It's just that you mentioned processed food, which is absolutely horrible. And then on top of it, you know, we're looking at soil that isn't nutrient dense anymore. So even if it's not processed, the levels that we used to get 100, 200, 300 years ago when we, you know, really nurtured our land and grew all of our food, it's just not as dense. So it's even challenging for those of us that tend to eat, you know, a little bit more on the perfect side, if you will. Yeah. Um, well, Dr. Howard, I, I know we're running out of time, but I want to like, there's a bunch of different supplements that I'd love to talk about, but because we're so short on time, we can't get through all of them, but I want to be able to get one more in. Um, you want to talk about NAC? I'd love to talk about NAC. So right. NAC, it stands for N-acetylcysteine, and it comes from the amino acid cysteine. And it's a very interesting supplement, and I think it's one that's commonly overlooked too because of its effects for the immune system, and it's not a typical one, right? Like we talked about the typical ones already. And what's interesting about NAC is it's actually a precursor for something called glutathione. Glutathione is one of the best antioxidants that we have in the body that can ward off disease and stimulate the immune system. But yet glutathione is actually very, very difficult to get orally. It's very hard to synthesize. Um, a lot of times, the best way to get it is really through an IV push, 
which is hard for a lot of patients to have access to, and some doctors can't even prescribe. So by taking the supplement N-acetylcysteine, that can help the body actually produce the glutathione, which can stimulate the immune system. The other beautiful thing about NAC that I love that doesn't get a lot of credit is its effect on lungs and breathing and mucus. So for patients that are experiencing like congestion, bronchitis, chronic cough, NAC can actually be a really nice supplement to use in that realm as well and make a huge difference for patients experiencing those kind of symptoms. Right. Another thing is to um, mention here is that the NAC, it's, it's a precursor to glutathione, but it's often needed because we're always running out of our internal stores of glutathione because it's used as a free radical scavenger. And as long as we're out in the environment, you know, unless we're in a, in a society where we're in a bubble, we're always going to be using upper glutathione stores. So it's really good to have that supplementation by, through NAC. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I, you know, I always get a little frustrated when people say, well, I'm just getting old, so I have to live with these things, but that's actually one of those things that as we age, those glutathione stores go down as well, so especially as we move into some of our older years, it becomes even more important. Right. You know, we do have another, a little bit more time to talk about another one, so I'll let you pick, about, pick the other, another one that you want to discuss. What's a good one to discuss? Why don't we talk, about it? Why don't we talk just broadly about adaptogens a little bit? Let's do that. Uh, because we mentioned, you know, in the very beginning, right, immune system and stress. And I even said, I think that's one of the reasons that I had to walk through my journey was chronic stress. And there's some really great, what we call adaptogenic products out there. So there's things like ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil, licorice. There's a variety of different ones that are adaptogenic. And what that means is it adapts, right? That's what that word is really standing for, is that it adapts to how we function. So if we backtrack a little bit to stress, we've got these two glands, they're called your adrenal glands, they sit by your kidneys and they pump out steroid hormones. And they're your stress response. And the best way I explain it is almost like throwing you in a haunted house. So like if I took you, Doc, and I threw you in a haunted house and I dumped out and I scared you, right? You'd be under stress from being scared. And your adrenals would respond by elevating cortisol levels. And then you'd go, oh, it's just Dr. Cindy. She's not so scary. And the cortisol would drop back down and it would normalize. And this happens all day, every day when we're under physical, spiritual, emotional stress, right? And the body just does this innately. Well, when we spend 10, 20, 30, 50, 80 years under stress, what happens is, is it's like throwing the body in a haunted house for six months and I'm bringing friends and now you're stuck there. And you can imagine how the body reacts, right? Can you imagine how tired and nervous you would be all of the time if you weren't sure if it was me who was going to jump out or how often or for how long. And so the body doesn't adapt now as well to Dr. Cindy jumping out in a haunted house, right? So we need some help. And these types of products are great to help the body recover and get back to that normal state where the adrenals really then can function properly when we're posed with illness or challenges so that the body can respond. And what we find is, is when the adrenals are not working as well and we're under this chronic stress, now the immune system struggles and now we've got two things, right, contributing to that possible illness. So when we look at some of those adaptogens, they can help focus on that stress level, um, but make us feel better. And that's just one of the ways. I mean, there's lots of different things that they do, depending on time we can dive in, but certainly from an immune system standpoint, they're really important. Mm -hmm. And can a person get tolerant to these adaptogens? You know, because they're, they're supposed to be utilized in their body to adapt to high levels of, of stress induced by cortisol. But if we're constantly taking them, does our body just get tolerant to it? 
Yeah, great question. I think it's very possible. And, you know, one of the things I look at doing is always pulling patients off because this comes back to what we originally spoke about, and that is not masking it for the rest of their life, but fixing the problem. So if we can fix that cortisol response and we can get the adrenals functioning, then it's important to wean patients and pull them off these products and allow their body to function in its natural state, mm -hmm. doing what it needs to do. And now if we go out, you know, the next 10 years and we screw it up again, mm -hmm. certainly those products can be reused. But I don't actually believe that they're designed to be on for the rest of your life, um, too. you know, permanently. I, I just don't think they work that way. And for people who require them for longer periods of times, do you recommend some sort of like a supplement holiday, so to speak? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, and there's different ways to holiday, if you will. And, you know, we tend to rotate supplements where we can go on for, let's say, I, I love like a six-week protocol, typically. You know, six weeks on, six to eight weeks on, and then maybe we take 30 days off or two weeks off. You know, the other way to holiday, if you will, and some doctors will do this, is they'll put you on five days a week and take off, let's say, if the weekends are a little less stressful, right? Like take off Saturday and Sunday and some supplementation too. Almost like to pick the body up a little bit, right? So it doesn't become dependent reliant on those particular supplements. So there's different ways to do that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think we are running out of time. We are actually close to being out of time here. So Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for coming on and explaining all these various supplements that we've had the pleasure of talking with you with. It's been very educational for me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are just blown away with the knowledge that you have and with all the supplements that are out there. And we definitely do. I believe we did define each one to a, a good degree um, and gave some pretty good information with each one. If our listeners would like to find more about you and, and contact you and maybe see you in the office, how can they find you? Yeah, great question. So my office phone number is 708-479-0020. I'm located outside of Chicago and we treat patients all over the country, actually all over the world. So don't hesitate even if you're outside of Chicago. We'd love to help and answer questions. Um, certainly you can, you know, Google and pull me up or find me. Um, let's see, website, isn't this horrible? I always rely on my office manager to do that thing. I think it's drcindymhoward.com is one. The office one that you can find should be innovativehwc.com, though. That is my current website address. Best thing is to reach out by phone. Um, let's set up some time. We'll talk. I'll be with whatever I can. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Appreciate it.